I could eat nine pies because I have nine pies. And eating nine pies won't set me up, well, in monetary failure for next week. It might set me up in butt failure, but it won't necessarily set me back monetarily. to Privy. Privy is a podcast about toilets recorded here from my home toilet. I'm Hunter, your toilet enthusiast and host from the hot seat, here to bring you what is in many ways a a this week we're going to talk a current event. We don't do too many current events, mostly because there's not too many bathroom related current events. Um, and so we have to we have to stretch for them. But a uh, few bathroom things from this week. So there's going to be this like ongoing check-in segment that we're going to do at the beginning of, of Privy for the foreseeable future. And it, and it is essentially going to go like this. It's called, Did the Gym Toilet Get Cleaned? So I attend a gym that will not be named, but here we are uh, in my town here. And... Um, there is a toilet at this gym that I am pretty confident has not been serviced in two to three months. And I say that because there is a toilet, the, the leftmost toilet in this facility, always has the same little smear, smear? Yeah, of just poop crusted on the inside of the bowl. And it's always there. It's never changed. And so I'm convinced like they're cleaning the surface of the toilet, but they're not cleaning the bowl. And so this is going to be a gym toilet bowl watch. I'll keep you updated and we'll see how long it takes for this little spot of poop to, to be removed. So on the date of recording, it's, it's July 13th uh, and the poop was there yesterday. I didn't go to the gym today. Today I got to go watch one of my youth play baseball this evening, which was really fun, um, and hang out and chat with some homies. Uh, yeah, and so it's just been a long, long couple of days, but uh, we will we will keep the gym update going and see if this toilet gets clean. Also, um, the other night I ate too much beef jerky, so here's what I'll say. Montana high country beef jerky is the best beef jerky. If you disagree with that, you're wrong and that's okay. Um, sometimes people are wrong about various things. And in this case, if you don't think high country beef jerky is the best beef jerky, you are wrong about the best beef jerky. Um, but the other night we had a bag of beef jerky that was, I say we had a while and I would say we probably had it much past what a person would be expected to have a bag of beef jerky. And I broke down in a moment of, uh, yeah, snack weakness. And I ate probably eight sticks of jerky in one sitting. Now, that's going to play into what we're going to talk about this week. But what you need to know is that beef jerky has this uh, uncanny ability to smell the same in air form once it's digested as it does when it is in the bag. And so, um, yeah, my farts the next day smelled exactly like the beef jerky I had ingested the evening before, which I'll say isn't the worst smell. 
Um, it's just kind of catches you off guard. But speaking of eating too much of something, this is Privy Summer. Welcome back to Privy Summer. I hope your summers are off to a great start. Um, I hope everybody was safe on the 4th of July. Uh, and in Privy Summer, you know, July, I don't know if you knew this, but because this is a totally real thing, it it serves to be brought up here. But July is National Hot Dog Month. And if if there was ever a food that needed an entire month to itself, it's not hot dogs. But they got to get their time in the limelight somehow, so we might as well give them July. Because we get this. It's the 4th of July. People want to grill. And there's something American about processed meat tubes. Like, these little wiener buddies, there's something that just screams America about them. I would suggest if you like wieners, don't read the jungle. Don't read the jungle. I remember reading that book in some grade in high school. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it'll ruin processed meat for you. Or in my case, it didn't ruin processed meat. It just made me lean into the curve a little harder. But July is also National Hot Dog Month because it is the time of year where we host Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. So this week on Privy, we're going to take a look at Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. But more importantly, we need to talk about what happens after the contest. You know what I mean. Before we get there, of course, we, we have to be going back to the beginning and talk a little bit about where this contest came from. And what I'd say is this thing has, this Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest has probably been disrupting bowels and clogging, clogging people's septic for well over a century. But maybe not, because as we're going to discuss, the numbers that these contestants are putting on the board has increased drastically as time has moved on. Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest got its beginning in Coney Island at a nickel hot dog stand in 1916. Man, a whole hot dog for a nickel. Now, sometimes you wonder if you should even grab them off the road because they won't get you nothing. But a nickel bocce a hot dog and Nathan and Ida Handworker developed the business using Ida's hot dog recipe and Ida's grandmother's secret spice recipe. And so this family business, the Handworkers, were Jewish-Polish immigrants who arrived to New York in 1912. And just four years later, they set up this nickel hot dog stand. But why and where? So when they immigrated to the United States, um, Nathan Handworker began to work in the restaurant business. And he worked for this restaurant, and um, they began to... I believe the restaurant's name was the Feltman's, but they began to save up money. And over time, they were able to save up enough money where they spent their entire life savings, which at the time was about $300. And to put that into perspective, that's about like $7,000 in today's money. 
but they, they spent this life savings to start their small hot dog operation. And the way that they found success was Nathan, thus the name Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs, Nathan undercut his former restaurant employer, the Feltmans, by charging half the price for the Nathan's hot dogs. So Feltmans are charging 10 cents, a dime will get you a dog, and Nathan rolls out and has nickel hot dogs. And of course, people come running. And to be honest, like I would too, you know, I think like the modern day equivalent to this phenomenon is Costco, where they're like, hey, we have a dollar fifty dog and drink, and you know you hear the stories about Costco's like CEO or owner or whatever threatening violence against the the people in the company who talk about raising the price of the hot dog because it's the same idea. Costco knows if they l- take a loss on their hot dog, it will keep people coming to Costco to buy other food and shop, and so. The loss on the hot dog is worth it in the win they get in every other section of their store. So, by charging half the price for their dogs, uh, people came to Nathan's stand over the Feltman's restaurant. And the company, their their small family company, remained uh, a small family affair until the 1980s. It's not until the 1980s when Nathan's franchises, so they spread out and franchise and began to open shops outside of New York City. Um, and now Nathan's has r- franchised restaurants in all 50 states. And as of 2017, they were actually chosen or signed or whatever, I don't know the words, to be the, the official hot dog of the MLB. You know, Good on them. Like I'm, I'm glad that Nathan's is is the official hot dog of bowling. Like it's just a good thing. The original Nathan's stand, um, the one they opened in Coney Island in 1916, it's still active and open 365 days a year at the original location. So. If you want to visit the original Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Stand, you can go do that. It's in Coney Island, um, and it's open, according to what I found, 365 days a year, which is cool. And on one of those days, a special day, every year for the past 105 years, Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs has celebrated summer and American freedom with Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. As far as the history of eating contests go, it's likely something that has been the result of modernity for a number of reasons. So first, we got to note the first ever recorded eating contest was a pie eating contest, which took place in Toronto in 1878. Um, And I say this is the first recorded eating contest because it's, it's likely that at some point in history of everything that has happened, at some point, somebody challenged somebody to see who could eat the most whatever, fill in the blanks, and there was an eating contest. But the first official one, I would say perhaps the first recorded eating contest with a prize took place in 1878. 
And it's also likely that the idea of eating contests, this, uh, well, we're going to eat copious amounts of food was, it's a modern thing because um, up until like not too long ago, people thought of food as a means of nutrients and getting energy. They didn't, they didn't view food as a pastime or as like a delicacy. And so as food begins to be more readily available, the prospect of trying to eat 30 to 40 meals worth of hot dogs in one setting seems more and more of an option. I could eat nine pies because I have nine pies. And eating nine pies won't set me up, well, in monetary failure for next week. It might set me up in butt failure, but it won't necessarily set me back monetarily wise. But in this modern like idea of eating competitions, food for sport, if you will, the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest is by far one of the longest running and biggest names in the competitive eating scene. It, when you think of competitive eating, you think of these dudes champing down hot dogs. I think of like the office scene where, you know, Michael Scott, he's got all his hot dogs out on the table and he's got all the, like the employees and the way he is going to take who supposedly is going to become the new manager is by seeing who eat the most hot dogs. And then you just see Stanley like crank it into overdrive. And now obviously, yeah, it's good stuff. But there's a reason that they picked hot dogs in that scene for The Office because the, the idea of an eating contest, hot dogs in this like American zeitgeist and culture has become the food item that you jam down your pie hole. It's not pie. It's a hot dog hole now. Jam it in your hot dog hole. That sounds bad. I don't know. Let's skip it. And, and we would be remiss not to mention some of the biggest names in the hot dog eating contest. Mr. Joseph Chestnut, his fans call him Joey, um, and more on Mr. Chestnuts in a minute. Other honorable mentions in food eating scene, in the food eating scene, are Adam Richmond from uh, The Man vs. Food TV show. What an excellent show. You know, you sit down and you watch this nice gentleman roll up to a restaurant, often I think a little overconfident, um, and just challenge this restaurant to hurt him. Like, they're just going to hurt him every time. And I remember the watching one with my grandpa. And the dude just sits down and, like, drinks, like, a gallon of milkshake in one sitting. And that sounds great. Like, if, you, if somebody said, hey, would you like a gallon of milkshake? It's an enjoyable experience as long as you don't have to eat or drink the gallon of milkshake in one go immediately. But as soon as you do, your body's not built for housing one gallon of milkshake it's probably not really built to handle like a normal amount of milkshake but we do all sorts of whack noise so here we are um other things related to the the food competition eating scene are the mukbang phenomenon so mukbang is this mukbang muk you sound like a, you sound like a freaking chicken whenever you say it. Mukbang phenomenon. Essentially, it's these people doing these like eating challenges. I don't get it. It's somebody's thing. Um, milk chugging. People just tossing back a gallon of milk. They usually throw up, mostly because your body again is not made for that. Um, and 
uh, hot wing competitions lend their own concerns and challenges. But whether you're Adam Richman or some person eating way too much food on the internet, for I guess people's enjoyment, again, I don't get it. I don't get the whole like, well, I want to watch this guy eat an entire Domino's pizza in less than five minutes because because I want to. I don't get that. Um, but Or Joseph Chestnuts himself. These guys have gained notoriety for the amount of food they eat. And it is, an, it is often an astounding amount of food. Uh, so, about two weeks ago, Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs held its 105th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. And Joseph Chestnuts arrived to defend his title as reigning champion and world record holder for eating 75 hot dogs hot dogs here's the thing if you haven't heard like if you're not paying attention to this you might not have hit it but mr chestnut won again joey chestnut came out on top and on top of that he set another new world record and consumed 76 nathan's hot dogs in 10 minutes now let's let's enter the math zone we're gonna go over here um in the words of my friend in high school, Pat Wenzel, I was told there would be no math. But here we are, and there is some math. At one Nathan Wiener has 170 calories. And that's not including the bun, which if you include the bun, which we are because Mr. Chestnuts ate the bun, the bun is about 140 calories. So we will round down to 300 calories per hot dog consumed. Now, Allow me to do the math. This means on July 4th this year, the day that most people were celebrating American freedom and shooting fireworks into space, Joseph Chestnuts celebrated American, I don't know, gluttony, and ate 23,000 calories in 10 minutes as he shot hot dogs down his throat tube. It's too much. 23,000 calories is too much, especially for 10 minutes. That's like a week's worth of food of calories in 10 minutes. You should have spread that out, but thus is why it is an eating competition, not just eating. What's more, a Nathan's hot dog, like one of those meat tubes, has about 20% of a person's daily value of sodium. So you will have a day's value of sodium. That is, of course, without the bun. That's a lot. That's a lot of sodium. And as I'm sure folks are aware, it's probably not recommended for your average bear. But as you can guess, Mr. Joseph Chestnuts is not your average bear. These folks are athletes. And I, yes, they undergo competitive training to prepare their bodies for com competition day, and I think maybe also the day following competition day. These, these, uh, this training regimen, amounts of water, which helps stretch the stomach um, and give some flexibility to the organ itself with the water, and eating large amounts of low-calorie foods to stress and build the elasticity of the stomach. Lots of vegetables um, and those type things. Jaw strength is also a concern. You know, if you sat me down and you said, hey, name the like 
top few concerns that are going to go into an eating competition. I wouldn't have landed on jaw strength very quickly, but it makes sense. You know, you got to chew them. Otherwise, you're going to choke. We're going to talk about choking in a few minutes. Um, it's not great. So I guess like jaw strength, you're chewing like copious amounts of gum, like rigorous gum chewing. You know, just toss like a full bag of big league chew up in there and just maw that down for a little bit. That'll that'll get the jaw strength going. Scientists, those guys, have also evaluated competitive eaters and found some interesting things. Here's what I'd say. I think we're running out of stuff to study because they're just studying these competitive eaters. But first, they found that their stomachs no longer contract the way us normies' stomachs would, meaning like when they eat, it doesn't contract and move the food like a normal stomach. And so this is going to help it be able to like hold and, and withstand more food. Um, maybe they're born with it. Maybe it's eating a week's worth of food in 10 minutes. I don't know. They can also relax their stomach muscles to make room for more. Something many folks uh, probably want to get square with Thanksgiving like four months away. You might hear that and you might go, you know what? I think I want to try to practice this new skill, relaxing my tum-tum muscles. That way I can have just a little more turkey and taters. Many competitive eaters, either through training or through eating so much, no longer have a satiary or a satiat. I can't read. Um, I'm going to go satiary, but I'm probably wrong. A satiary reflex. All what that layman's here we go. That is the reflex that says, Hey, dum dum, you've eaten too much food, and if you eat anymore, it's gonna take a trip back northward, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so these, these athletes, these food specimens, athletic specimens, there, there seems to be both training and a change in the bodies, namely the stomachs and psychology of competitive eaters. Here's the thing though. While there is like these cool, like rigorous training and these cool things that these guys uh, have trained their bodies to do, there's also plenty of risks in participating in an eating competition. Competitors often choke on their food and choking is actually the, the greatest risk and has claimed the most lives of folks participating in eating competitions. The large amounts of water consumed can lead to water intoxication, tears in a person's stomach, or other innards. The huge amount of calories coming in can put a stress on the internal organs as they try to deal with the massive amounts of food, namely uh, the two organs that seem to undergo the most stress in these situations are the, are the pancreas and the liver. Uh, and while many health effects are a reality, again, choking is viewed as the greatest danger in eating contests. But here at Privy, we want to discuss not necessarily the eating contest. It builds our, our knowledge on these things and helps us celebrate Privy Summer. But we're less interested in the eating and more interested in the purge that happens after the eating. Once in a person's system, there can be a number of bowel-related consequences. First, as noted, there can be a hole that forms, or a tear, if you will, 
in a person's gastrointestinal wall. And real quick, allow me. I'm I can't stress this enough. So again, Hunter's disclaimer: I'm not a doctor. Do not take anything I say as medical advice or opinion. That is all. But let me give you a diagnosis of what a hole in your gastrointestinal wall would be like. It's bad. That can't be good. It has to be real bad. And it can lead to poisoning. It's very painful. And it often requires emergency surgery. Thumbs down on holes in the gastrointestinal wall. Uh, not great. Another uh, fun anus and tum-tum related side effect is gastroparesis. So if you remember from our fear of peeing episode, paresis is, is the fear or inability to poop. This is inability for your tum-tum to move, gastroparesis that is, is the inability for your tum-tum to move the insane amount of Nathan's salt dogs down the tract to the sweet hole of relief. It doesn't move it down. It is also known as delayed emptying. No. And it's caused by the weakening of those muscular contractions. So the thing that makes them very good at eating competitions may also be the thing that causes them bad booty hole situations. And that's not good because now your stomach lining does not move the food down the stomach's tract to the end zone. And it can cause bacterial growth, can cause a hardening of the stool to form what is called a bezoar, which, as I learned in researching this, is not just a thing that Professor Snape yanks from animals to use in his potions in Harry Potter, but is a real thing and something that can be found in human beings. It can also call, cause other intestinal obstruction. You know in the cartoons... When there's a hose, and they turn the water on, and the guy on the end of the hose is like holding the hose. He's waiting for the water to come out, and it's not coming out. And you got the other guy on the other end, and it's like plugged up, and then it like swells the hose, and it keeps swelling, and it's swelling, and it's swelling, and then it bursts in the middle. That is the idea of what is happening with this food situation, except for in this case, the hose is your stomach lining. Let me again inform you medically of what I believe that's probably like. Bad, very bad, thumbs down, sad face, no good, you don't want that. But let's say all goes well, you eat Joseph Chestnut, eats his 76 Nathan's meat tubes. He doesn't have a tear in anything, he doesn't choke, thank God. And everything gets into the stomach lining and it's going. Well, you have to imagine, and whenever I think of the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest, all I can think of is, my goodness, that has to generate a sweet log. It has to. The, the shaz that they produce after eating that many hot dogs has to be enormous, legendary in some way, either in stench or in size or in duration. It has to be big city. And what's interesting is these guys who seem to have no shame in just stuffing their hot dog hole full of Nathan's 
famous salt tubes. They seem moderately bashful and moderately like timid in talking about what those Nathan's meat tubes do to their bathrooming later. But the biggest cover of this idea, um, the, the website Deadspin, uh, a reporter there, did an interview. I believe this was the 2017 um, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Excuse me. And this interviewer interviewed um, the contestants moments after the big stuffing. And, and he, uh, the, the interviewer asked them the same question. What is your next bowel movement going to be like? And their answers varied greatly. And I would argue much like the leavings people make without consuming 70 plus dogs. Like your, your answers are going to be different. Just like everybody's body's different. Like some people process Taco Bell really well. And then there's me and I don't. One competitor simply said it was bad every single time. And you know what? I think that's fair. I can imagine what 75 hot dogs passing through your body at once would be like. And it, it, it can't be good. It just can't be. The author writes this in summation of having talked to these contestants about their post-contest chaz. He says, quote, With four interviews in the books... I only learned what the poops would not be like. They would, quote, not be fun. They would not be pretty. They would not be immediate. And they would not be inconsequential. In other words, it's going to suck. It's going to be ugly. It's going to take a bit to get out, but it's going to be legendary when I do. And when we're talking about amazing dookies, isn't that what we all want? Maybe, maybe a little more fun. But Joseph Chestnut, the reigning champion himself, described his post-Nathan's hot dog BM as, quote, picture-worthy. But here's the thing. I couldn't safely, and I say safely because, like, I'm sure there's some sort of dark website that you can go for those pictures. I don't need that that much. So I couldn't safely find the pictures of Mr. Chestnut's, quote, picture-worthy deuce. So what gives? But... A competitive eater on YouTube, if you, I, I went looking to see if there could be a little more info. Um, his name is Furious Pete, and he does a Q&A um, about the post-competition poop. And, and he notes that it can often take two to three days for the things consumed to make its way out of your system. Sometimes you return to the throne multiple times before you're really done. He, he describes it like, you, you begin the Chaz, you think you're done, you get up, and, and like before you have a chance to get too far away, Chaz returns for round two. And what's interesting is I've had that experience, but I, I usually have, don't have that experience after eating a, a train load of food. I usually just have that experience after just existing and maybe eating a little bit of something that didn't agree. Sometimes you return multiple times before you're really done, and he says that it's a, there's an increase in both size of the, the movement and the amount of time it takes to get the whole thing to pass. And th those are not desired. Like, generally speaking, to overshare, allow me to overshare. Generally speaking, when I poop, 
it's quick and it ain't solid uh yep so nathan's famous hot dog eating contests what we've learned is that these guys eat a lot of food and girls there's there's ladies in this competition and afterwards they produce what we can only assume is some legendary dookie and really, we need to pray for their plumbing situation. That's that's really what we need to shout out because that's what's doing the heavy lifting here. Thank you, Nathan's Hot Dogs, for giving us this touchstone of American history and culture. And and I thank you. And I think you would be wise to go into the bathroom, uh, yeah, industry. I don't, I don't really have a good, like, ate-too-much-food hunter's anecdote. Um, but to give you a hunter's anecdote to keep you afloat here, uh, I want to tell you a story about the time that my friend... I'm going to go ahead and name him, and if not, I'll just go back and beep it out later. Uh, but my friend Josh, and we're, you know... He's a bigger fella. He's a big dude. He's just tall. Um... And so, and you know, he's just like, he's, he's tall guy and he can put the food away. And so the, we, we had a Denny's in the town near the town I grew up in. I remember we, I had gone back, I think it was in college and we'd gone back to visit and either that or we were in high school, probably in high school, but we went to Denny's and Denny's at the time had advertised all you can eat pancakes for $4. And what they did was, you know, my, my, my friend sits down and we, you know, we're all eating and, and he, you know, he gets like, here's the thing. He gets like four pan, like they, they bring the first three out and he eats the first three and he asks for a reload. And then they bring you two and then he asks for a reload. So far we're five pancakes in. That's nothing crazy. Like if I put my heart to it, I could probably eat five pancakes. I wouldn't feel good. Um, probably would have felt better back when I was in high school and I could just consume copious amounts of idiot trash and not feel terrible. But we're old people now, and we can't do that because our tummies say no. Uh, but, you know, he had eaten about five, asked for a reload. And again, they are the ones who have advertised all-you-can-eat pancakes for $4. And so they bring in pancake six, and he eats it, and he asks for a reload. And they bring in pancake seven. Now they're rolling them out one at a time. So my friend Josh eats his eighth pancake. And as I remember it, eight pancakes in. And Denny's comes out and cuts him off and says, no, sir, we will not bring you more pancakes. Now, here's what I'll say. Could Josh have eaten more pancakes? Absolutely. The dude's, the dude's a, a beast. He, he can handle it. He's not the only one. Like, probably most people back then could have handled it. But here's what I say. You know, and I'm not saying I get like I get like a person can't sit there and eat 40 pancakes. I mean, technically they should be allowed to because it does say all you can eat. But eight pancakes isn't that many. Like when your cutoff is eight, that <laughs> come on, Denny's. I get it. You can't keep doing it forever. But we were only there for like an hour, and he ate pa eight pancakes. That's not unreasonable. Like. 20 maybe, like if we'd have hit the 15, 20 mark, I'd be like, dude, there's no way you're going to bring you more pancakes. But yeah, sure enough, Josh ate about eight pancakes and they cut him off and it was like, well, this is an outrage. Um, so just remember, 
uh, depending on what Denny's you go to, if they tout all-you-can-eat pancakes, it's all-you-can-eat pancakes as long as we choose to keep giving them to you. I think that probably goes for the Olive Garden all-you-can-eat pasta bowl, uh, which is a dangerous, dangerous game and one that I love to play myself. I hope you've enjoyed this Hunter's Anecdote to keep you afloat. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Privy. As always, we, we thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to connect with us on social media, we're at all the social medias, at PrivyCast. Send us an email. Say hello. Tell us what you think of the show. Just share your story. Um, it doesn't have to be bathroom related, although we do prefer it. But you can send your emails and your comments to PrivyCast at gmail.com. And, and as always, like word of mouth is huge. You know, I know how much people want to hear about jo- Joseph Chestnut taking a big poop. And so if you have a friend who you think would love to hear about Joseph Chestnut and what eating 76 Nathan's hot dogs does to your b-hole, send them this episode, tell them to listen, tell them, you know, share the show with them. Word of mouth is huge. And I thank you guys for doing so. As always, we want to thank Kevin McLeod. For the use of Barroom Ballet as our intro and outro music. You can find Kevin's music at incompetech.org. He's licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0. Thanks, Kevin. We'd also like to thank Poddington Bear for the use of all colors in the world. You can find Poddington Bear's music at poddingtonbear.com. Thanks, Poddington. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Privy. And now, as always, don't forget to flush.